Tonight is where we're going to be in a couple of moments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, we do thank you, God, for the health to be here this evening. I know that some are sick this evening, they're not feeling well, and there are different things afflicting the different uh, members of our church family. But God, for those of us you've given the strength to be here tonight, we're thankful for that. Lord, I do pray that you'd help us as a church family tonight to give attention to your word. God, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. And, and Lord, that uh, you'd help us this evening to be stronger in our walk with you, to be stronger in our faith. And I would thank you for that, and I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This evening, I'm not going to review last week's message. I'm going to just get into the message tonight. And I want to begin by asking you to think about something. Don't answer out loud. Don't feel as though I'm uh, uh, requesting that. Just think about this for just a moment. In your mind, what would you define or how would you define the word doubt? How would you define the word doubt? Here is the dictionary definition of the word doubt. To be uncertain to consider something unlikely, or to hesitate to believe. To be uncertain, to consider something unlikely, or to hesitate to believe something. Now as you think about that for just a moment, the definition for the word doubt, I want us to think about another question, I want us to think about another thought or another idea, and that is this. Where does doubt come from, or, or, or what is our doubt rooted in? Why do people doubt? Why are people uncertain? Why do some people consider certain things unlikely? Why do people hesitate to believe certain things? Why does that happen? What is the cause of that? What is it rooted in? Here is what it is rooted in, and here is the cause of it, and this is why it takes place. Disappointments and failures of other people, by other people, against us. Think about this for just a moment. A person has to learn doubt. Someone says, well, no, 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 that, that, that's just born in us. No, I, I don't think it is. I think it's something that we learn. Because here's what you know if you've ever dealt with children very much at all. Children will believe anything. They will take whatever you say at face value and assume you are telling them the truth. If you go to a small child, one that's able to carry on a conversation and one that's able to, to you know, to, to have a thought process and to be able to, to, you know, have this conversation with you, if you went to this small child and you knew that they liked horses, you knew that they liked ponies, and you went to them and you said something like this, guess what I'm going to do for you for your birthday? I'm going to buy you a pony. You know what that child will tell everyone they know? That child will tell everyone they know that you are going to buy them a pony for their birthday. They absolutely believe that you're going to do what you said you were going to do. If you tell a child, we're going to take you to the store and we're going to let you buy whatever you want to buy, guess what that child is going to do? That child will take you at face value. 
That child will believe you. That child will place their confidence in you. That child is going to assume that you will follow through with what it is you have said you are going to do. You take the innocent, uncorrupted mind of a child. They do not struggle with doubt. They do not struggle with certainty. They do not assume that things are unlikely. They do not hesitate to believe. They hear it. They assume you're telling the truth, and they believe you. So here's the thing with doubt. Even as a child, we get disappointed in people not fulfilling their word. So even a child begins to realize you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. You didn't follow through with what you said you were going to do. And so as a result of disappointments in the actions of other people or the failures of people to execute certain things they said they were going to do, the child begins then to learn how to doubt that people may or may not follow through with what they say they're going to do. And it's a result of learning doubt that they began to doubt, but it's not something that they were just born with, this sense of doubt or this lack of trust or this lack of confidence. And here's what we know. As we grow older, we continue to doubt. Do we not? We continue to doubt people. We continue to doubt that people are going to do as they say or perform as they are promised. We go into these situations and they, we go into these circumstances where, where we're uncertain as to whether or not this party is going to do everything that they've said they're going to do. We consider it unlikely that they'll actually deliver on this particular promise. We, we hesitate to believe that it's really going to be as good as they say it's going to be. You and I, as adults today, we still doubt people based upon people's failures in the past and based upon disappointments we've had to deal with. Now, as we think about that for just a moment, I want us to think also about this truth. Many times, because of our struggle with doubt or a lack of faith or a struggle to really believe that people will follow through with what they've said they would do, many times because we struggle with that doubt, we begin to doubt people who have not yet even failed us or disappointed us. You ever been guilty of this? It would be something like this. You tell me you're going to do something, and I say to Susie, well, that's what they said, but I doubt it'll happen quite like that. I, I hesitate to believe that it's going to be exactly as you said it was going to be. Now, think about that for just a moment. You've given me no reason to doubt you, but yet, based upon past experiences and past disappointments and past failures with other individuals or other entities or other parties, here's what I'm doing. I am judging you based upon other people's actions or failures in my life. And you have done the same to others. 
Somebody has disappointed you. Someone has failed you. Someone has not delivered in the manner in which you thought they were going to come through. And, and, and whatever the scenario may look like, things did not go the way you thought they were going to go. They didn't go the way you hoped they would go. And so because of that, you have this little voice of doubt in your mind, sometimes even with people who have yet to fail you. You say something like this to your spouse. I don't mean to be skeptical. It's just one of those things I'll believe it when I see it. I don't mean to doubt. But I've just been down this road before and I know how this usually turns out. Let's not act like we've not doubted people before. We have doubted people in the past. Now think about this for just a moment. To doubt a person who has never failed you is not really quite fair. I mean, if I'm going to doubt you, I need to have some good reasons to doubt you. If you're going to doubt me, you need to have some good reasons as to why you doubt me. But to cast judgment on my character based upon the failures or the actions of other people, well, that's not really fair, is it? And not only is it not fair, it's somewhat of an insult to assume that I might be like everyone else you've dealt with. Follow this, please. We grow up doubtful of people based upon the disappointments we've had or the failures we've experienced in our dealings with other people many times that distorts our view of others and even though this person has not yet failed us we live with the sense of doubt and to have doubt in a person who has yet to fail us it is not fair and it is an insult to that person's character Now, as we think about that for just a moment tonight, I want us to think about Joseph. Now, there are obvious reasons as to why we're thinking about Joseph this evening, because he is our topic of discussion. I want us to think about this for just a moment. Did Joseph know anything about disappointment? Well, obviously he did. Did Joseph know anything about the failure of people and their actions toward him? Well, again... Obviously, he did. Think about this for just a moment. Some of the disappointments that Joseph had to deal with and some of the failures in the lives of other people that he had to deal with. First of all, you've got the these truth that his brothers hated him, beat him, and sold him into slavery. Disappointing or not? Obviously, that would be disappointing, okay? Even a sleepy, groggy Wednesday night crowd knows... That would be disappointing if we were Joseph. I would be somewhat disappointed in the behavior of my brother if he thought the best thing to do with me was to beat me up, throw me in a pit, and then sell me into slavery. If that is what my brother did to me, I would say, you know what, ah shucks, I'm disappointed. If I found myself one day in a foreign land serving as a slave now to someone else and someone finally trusted me only to be set up to be knocked down, only to experience failure one day because a woman lied about me and the person believed her and didn't even get my side of the story, I would be disappointed in the one who supposedly trusted me. 
Joseph knew something about disappointment and the failures in actions of other people. Don't you think for a moment Joseph was disappointed in Potiphar? You didn't even hear me out. You didn't even let me speak. You didn't even let me defend myself. You just listened to what your wife said. You took that at face value and then you threw me into the dungeon. I'm disappointed in you, Potiphar. He knew disappointment. Chief Butler comes along. And what does Joseph say? He says, listen, sir, when you're restored, please remember me to the king. Please talk to Pharaoh on my behalf. Please, sir, would you talk to him for me? And I'm sure the butler gave him all sorts of promises. Oh, man, you can count on me. And how long was it before the butler remembered his failure? It was two years. Don't you know that just for a little bit, Joseph was disappointed? Don't you know that he was somewhat bothered? Don't you know that he was somewhat disturbed? I mean, here his brothers are. They beat him. They've sold him into slavery. His, his boss, his wife lied about him, and the boss didn't even ask about it. And, and then here is the butler, and I can't even remember the guy who helped me in the midst of my distress. Now, those are just some of the highlights of the disappointments in Joseph's life that we know about. Now, look in Genesis chapter 37. I know I told you to look in Genesis chapter 42, but we're actually going to begin in chapter 37. Notice in first verse number 5, it says this, And Joseph dreamed a dream. We're familiar with this dream, correct? It says he told it his brethren, and we know how they responded, it says, and they hated him yet the more. Whenever Joseph shared his dream with his brothers, his brothers did not celebrate with him. His brothers did not rejoice with him. The scripture says they hated him yet the more. And so we have in verse number 7 what the dream was. He says, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Okay, now they knew what the, the idea was or the interpretation of the dream was because in verse number 8 it says, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now understand, please, when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a dream that he would one day be promoted, and he would be promoted to a position where even his own brethren would bow down to him and show him reverence and show him respect and what did the brothers say to him fat chance that isn't happening that's what they said essentially right this is never going to happen are you assuming that one day you will reign over us as you look in verse number nine it says and he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said behold i have dreamed a dream more and behold the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me and he told it to his father and his brethren and his father rebuked him and said unto him what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So we're, we're very familiar with the dreams, correct? One dream says, my brethren are going to bow down to me. And the other dream says, it'll be dad and mom and the brethren that are bowing down to me. And, and what is everyone saying? 
They're saying, Joseph, is this really what you believe is going to happen? Now, now think about this for just a moment. Who gave Joseph the dreams? Who gave Joseph the dreams? Well, it was God, was it not? These were not dreams that Joseph came up with on his own. This was not the result of Joseph laying down one evening on his pillow and saying to himself, you know, I think this would be cool if, if one day, you know, my brothers bowed down to me, and so I'm going to tell them this neat story about how my sheaf rose up and, and their sheaves all bowed down to me. Listen, that is not at all how these dreams were birthed and how these dreams were, were, were brought into the heart and to the mind of Joseph. These dreams were the result of God giving him the dreams. Now, don't you know when those dreams first came to Joseph those nights, don't you know that there was a sense of excitement and anticipation? I promise you there were. No 17-year-old young man could have a dream from God about a promotion and everyone bowing down to him and it not excite them a little bit. 17-year-olds usually aren't mature enough to handle that kind of stuff with the right attitude and the right spirit. And even if Joseph had handled this perfectly, he was still a 17-year-old young man. Okay? So here is Joseph, and he has this dream, and it is given to him by God. Now, speculation to some extent on my part, but I think I'm within the boundaries of what is normal and what could be expected. Don't you think Joseph began daydreaming a little bit as to what it would look like? I mean, how is this going to happen? How is this going to take place? What is God going to do to promote me to the place that my brothers will one day bow down to me? My brothers who hate me, my brothers who can't stand me, my brothers who know that I'm the favorite child, the, the, the ones who have nothing good to say to me or about me, I wonder how this is all going to come to pass. I can promise you this as he dreamed this out in his mind, as he planned this out in his mind, I promise you as a 17-year-old young man, he never said this, I bet God is going to work by having me beat and sold into slavery. That was not step one in his rise to promotion. At no point in this situation, at no point in this dream, at no point in this process would Joseph had said something like this, I think I know what will happen. I'm going to be beaten and sold into slavery. I'll rise a little bit and then I'm going to get knocked back down by the false accusation of a Potiphar's wife. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to spend several years in a dungeon and then God is going to do something wonderful and amazing in my life and promote me in a foreign land. That's not what Joseph would have envisioned. Nobody envisions a rise to the top on that kind of a road. Whenever we envision ourselves succeeding and doing well, we envision accolade after accolade after accolade after accolade after accolade till we've finally reached the pinnacle of whatever we consider to be success. So here's David, it's slavery, it's bondage, it's beat up, it's lied about, and all these other things. just want to ask you a very simple story or a very simple question. Do you think David struggled with disappointment? 
Of course he did. You could not, again, you could not endure all of this and not be disappointed and have doubts. Follow this. In the 13 years that he was either a prisoner for Potiphar or in the dungeon at Pharaoh's prison, there had to be moments that he doubted that what God said was going to come to fruition. There had to be moments of doubt. There had to be times in his life because he was a normal young man where that dream was all but dead. I'm not going to get out of here. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't know what made me think that my brothers were going to bow and my dad and my mom would bow. I don't see, based upon the disappointments he had to deal with, how he went 13 years in that position without doubting at least once or twice. Is that fair to say? As all that happens, turn over to chapter 42. In chapter 42, we know that Joseph has been promoted. We know that he's had his family. We know that Manasseh and Ephraim are born. We know that by the time we get to chapter 42... The seven years of plenty have already transpired, and they're now in the years of famine. So if you do the math, Joseph has been removed from the family now for over 20 years. From the time he was beat and sold into slavery, by the time we come to chapter 42, over 20 years have passed, which means over half of David's life has been spent in the land of Egypt. Different land, different culture, different language, different appearance, different everything. And so that will explain what we see in just a couple of moments in verse number 8. But notice what it says in verse number 1. It says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? Okay? Here is Jacob, the father of Joseph and his brethren, and they're obviously running low on food. They're in a state of need. And Jacob says, uh, boys, why are you standing around looking at each other? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, his baby brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. It says in verse number 8, And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. See, Joseph didn't have facial hair. That's something that a Jew would have had in their day. 
You'll remember whenever he stood before Pharaoh, he had to shave and get cleaned up because that's not something the, the scholars say that the Egyptians would have had in their day. So here is Joseph, and, and he is you know, 20 years removed from, from the last time the brothers have seen him. Their mind is far removed from Joseph at this point. They're there strictly on the mission to try to get some corn, get some food, and take it back home so that they can survive a little bit longer. Their mind is not at all on Joseph. And up to this point... You remember what we talked about last week? Joseph had a life. Joseph had a life and he wasn't going to live in the past. You remember that? Here is Joseph and what is he doing? He is operating just a normal everyday life, doing what he is supposed to be doing, and his brothers show up. He recognizes them, but they recognize or knew not him. Notice what it says in verse number 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. And said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. Now think about that phrase for just a moment in verse number 7 and verse number 9. Verse number 6, rather, in verse number 9, where it says, Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. You know what the brothers did in verse number 6? They did exactly what Joseph said they would do over 20 years ago, and they did exactly what their brothers mocked. Listen now. They did exactly what they mocked they would never do. And when that happened, you know what Joseph did? He remembered the dream. Huh. You know, I'd forgotten about that. You know, it wasn't that I'd totally forgotten about it, but it wasn't on my radar. I haven't been sitting around saying to myself, I wonder when my brothers are going to show up and I'll have to force them or I'll get to force them to bow down to me. That was not on Joseph's mind. That was not on Joseph's radar. He was not thinking about the day that he could be vindicated and the day that he could get vengeance on them and play with their minds and play with their emotions and, and really mess with them for a little bit. That was not at all what was going through Joseph's mind. But you know what happened when his brothers showed up and bowed down and he remembered the dream that he had dreamed? You know what happened? He remembered and he recognized God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, the route did not go the way Joseph would have envisioned, things did not go the way he would have dreamed. But God said over 20 years prior to this moment taking place, God said, I am going to do it. And God did it. And in that moment, the faithfulness of God to his word and to his promise and to what he says was made known to Joseph. Joseph I do what I say I'm going to do. I don't know about you, but I think that's powerful. 
It was on God's time frame, no question. It was on God's terms, no doubt. But Joseph remembered the dream, and in that moment, he could reflect on this. That's what God said was going to happen. And God did exactly as he said he was going to do. Now, this evening, I want us to think about something. We're almost done, so just give attention to this for a couple of moments. We all know what it means to doubt, correct? To be uncertain, to consider something unlikely, or to hesitate to believe something. Question. How many of us know what it means to doubt God? Guilty. I mean, let's not sit here and be self-righteous and pious and holier than thou. Uh, You've done it, and I've done it. We've doubted God. Why have we doubted God? Well, because we've learned to doubt people. Because of the disappointments that we've had in life and the failures we've had in the lives of people. Just make sense? We have learned to be doubters. Now, to be a doubter plays right into our sinful nature. Okay? It's like they complement one another. I had to learn to be a doubter, but once I learned how to be a doubter, I picked it up real quick. And I have excelled in being a doubter at times. I have excelled in not believing something. I have, fa- or I have excelled in, in hesitating to believe, in doubting that something was likely. I, I have been uncertain more times than I care to admit. I know exactly what it means to doubt God based upon the failures of people in my life. Now think about this for just a moment. Based upon everything that's been said, people have disappointed us, and because people have disappointed us, we have become doubters in people. But because that so plays into our human nature, we are then much more likely and susceptible to the idea of doubting God. Now, we commonly accept that truth, do we not? Okay, we should. That we've doubted God. But we've got to answer this question. Don't tell me the times people disappointed us and failed us. We've got to answer this question. When did God fail you? When did God fail us. I mean, let's think about that. When, when, when did God fail you? When did God fail me? When did God not do exactly as he said he was going to do? See, whenever I look back over the course of my life, here's what I have to remember, and here's what I have to reflect upon, and here's what I've got to make myself think about. You know what? God has never failed me. Whenever I have served God, whenever I have walked with God, whenever I have tried to live in obedience to Him, here is what I have to admit. I have never once been failed by God. 
Not once have I gone without food. Not once have I gone without shelter. Not once have I gone without my needs met. Whenever I have been living in obedience to God's will for my life, God has done exactly everything He said He was going to do. God has never once failed me. And believe it or not, God's never failed you when you've been serving Him. See, if you really believe that God has failed you when you have been trying to live in obedience to Him, listen, here, here's what you're saying, okay? You're saying that God's Word is not true, which then makes God a liar, which means this, you, you just need to give up on all of it. And that's not a position I'm ready to take yet, and that's not a position I'm ready to help defend if that's the position you want to take. God has not failed us as we have tried and seriously sought to live for Him. Now, if we're not living for Him, He is not obligated to do for us certain things that we want Him to do for us. And then we can sit back and say, God, you failed me. No, 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 you failed God. God did not fail you. Okay. This may not be the most thrilling thing in the world to consider, but it's important. God has not failed us. He has met our needs. He has taken care of us. He has provided for us. Has it always come in the exact way we thought it would come? Obviously not, at least not for me. Many times the story that God begins writing in my life and the story that I'm going to begin, we did not get the same script. You know, because God, I was writing it out like this, and there'd be a promotion here, and there'd be an accolade here. And God, it would be a, a happy moment. And God, see, God, I don't know where you got your script, but no, I didn't want any of those valleys. I didn't want any of those dark times. I didn't want any of those low moments. But you know what? That was God taking care of the process, and that was God doing exactly what he said he would do, when he said he would do it, how he chose to do it. Now think about this. God has never failed us, yet we doubt Him. You see what's wrong with that on so many different levels? Here's what we're doing. We are assuming that God will fail us because other people have failed us. We doubt God and we struggle in our heart with the, with the circumstances of life that we don't like. We doubt God and we, we struggle to take Him at His word, not because He failed us, but because other people have failed us. And so now we assume, well, God's probably going to fail me. Well, friends, it's not right. And not only is it not right... It is an insult to the character of God to evaluate Him based upon the actions of lowly, sinful people. How dare us assume upon His character as a holy, righteous God based upon the actions and the character of fallen, sinful man? It is an insult for us to doubt God just because we doubt people because we've grown up being disappointed in people. Does this make sense? 
So here's what I want us to, to reflect on as we look at the life of Joseph. Someone may say, I'm not quite connecting all the dots. Here's what I want us to reflect upon. Joseph knew disappointments. And Joseph knew what it was like to be let down and to be upset. And as a result of that, for it to begin casting doubt in his mind, well, this person didn't do what they said. And this person lied about me. And this person mistreated me this way. And over the course of 13 years living in the prison, there is no doubt because of his sinful flesh, just like us, that there were times that he had to struggle and to doubt whether or not God would do exactly what he said he was going to do. But when his brother bowed before him that day with their faces to the earth and Joseph remembers the dream that he had dreamed over 20 years ago it was in that moment he could say wow God is faithful and does exactly what he said he would do tonight I'm trying to remind us of this simple truth we are going to be disappointed by people all our lives. Our children have already known disappointment and they've already began to, to formulate this thought and this idea of doubt in their mind and they will struggle with it all of their lives. And if we're not careful as children of God, we will carry our doubt and our speculation and our skepticism and our cynicism. We will carry all that that we have with relationships uh, with people on this earth. We will carry that into our relationship with God. And there is no room for doubt in the faithfulness of God in the life of a believer. Amen. God, you've not failed me yet. I have no reason to assume that you will fail me now. And God, just because people on this earth have doubted or have failed me and have, and have disappointed me, God, I, I will not insult you to think that you're going to respond in the way sinful, fallen man responds. I don't know if you'd identify with this. I don't know if you'd agree with this. But I find it amazing how fast doubt can enter my mind. Just one minute, everything's going good. One minute, everything's going fine. And then something happens, and all of a sudden, I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with whether or not, oh, well, I don't know, man. I just, boy, I hope, boy, I'm going to have to be careful about this. I'm going to have to really buckle down on this. I'm going to have to really pay attention to this. And, and I began doubting what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And, and you know what I'm doing? I am saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you. God, I don't know if I can trust you. You may fail me like so many other people in my life have. What an insult. What an insult to the God who has been faithful to us all these years. What an insult to think that he would bring us this far only to drop us on our face and get some kind of a thrill out of it. God is faithful. It may not happen as quick as we think it's going to happen. It may not happen in the ways that we think it's going to happen. But God is faithful. And Joseph is a clear reminder of the faithfulness of God in a person's life. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would help us this evening to be honest with our doubt when we struggle with it. God, would you help us to be honest enough tonight to admit that there's no room for doubt in you in the life of a believer? God, we have every reason to have total trust and total confidence in you because of your faithfulness all these years. God, I pray that you'd help us to see how much of an insult it is whenever we began to doubt you, that we're, we're casting some kind of a, a doubt and a, a shadow over your integrity and your character. 
God, I pray that you'd help us this evening to be men and women who have total trust and confidence in you, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situation may be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you need to pray, please do. Thank you.